Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. Uh, let's see, we got a bunch of Collins this episode. Sorry guys, I've been busy with other things, so didn't get to these right away. I uh, had to put a pin in it. So uh, I'm pulling the pin out, and we're going for it. We got some Collins from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. We've got Joe from Hindsightless. And making a special appearance, Rob from Down in a Heap. So, um, yeah, oh, and in the middle we have a mini unboxing. Uh, I am. I keep teasing a very significant unboxing, which will happen eventually. I literally have the box sitting there. I know what's in it, but I want to unbox it because it, it should be very exciting. Or it could be terrible. So we'll see. That'll be its own episode. But also, I just got a bunch of calls today from Arlen Walker, and that's going to end up being its own episode because there's a lot of great call-ins from there. So, uh, yeah, uh, sit back, relax, grab your favorite cold or hot beverage, and let's get to it. Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Maybe the kind of metal you should listen to is stoner metal or stoner rock, like Sleep. Look up Sleep Dragon Knot. Uh, dragon and then what? A U T or U A T, however it's spelled. Look, look, look that with Sleep and, and listen to that. Maybe that's more your, your speed. It, at least you can sleep to it, right? <laughs> yes, I, I am in for Lords of Creation. Love that game. Never played it, but I've read it. Um, and. Yeah, the, the Burt Reynolds pitcher actually would, would work pretty well. I, I, I could get down with that. As far as your opinions on, you know, power gaming and optimizing characters and starting off, you know, with a kind of crap character and slowly building them up, I'm with you 100%. I actually think that's easier to do in a skill-based system than a level-based system, but my minutes are messed up. So obviously it depends on the game. But I think again, and, and like and in OD and D or you know straight BX, it really doesn't matter. You can definitely start with kind of crap attributes, and it, it, it's irrelevant, which is why I like those games. Um, but I, I think if well, I don't know, I guess a game you can pick things from different classes and mix and match, kind of like 4E lets you do a little D and D 4E lets you do a little bit, like Pathfinder seems to let you do a little bit in games like that. Um, there are indie games out there that allow that kind of thing, like the, um, what is it, the Goblin, not the Goblin Hack, whatever the Goblin game is, I'll, I'll find out before the um, next message. But um, yeah, so in those kind of games, I think it's easier to do that zero to hero if you're doing a system aside from like OD&D or, or BX, which, which I think are great systems to run that kind of game. Glog is what I was thinking of, G-L-O-G. It's a kind of indie, what they call indie OSR. I don't necessarily like that definite that term, but it, it's kind of or new OSR. Um, I guess that term's maybe a little better, maybe. But anyway, it's one of those games, and, and Glog is is a game that's that's kind of interesting and has interesting mechanics. If you go listen to Camping with Owlbears, um, it, Scott has some. Yeah, you know, he took his system and at Glaive and, and adapted it to Glog. And that's the second edition, and he's pretty happy with it. And he talks about it quite a bit on his show. But you can pick and choose from different classes, so you could easily build an optimal. Well, maybe not optimal. Or you could, can build an optimal character, but you can also build a unique character with it, which is kind of cool. And you could start, you know, from zero and build your way up to where you want to go. So that's kind of nice. As for me, I'm okay playing zero to hero games if it's a long term game which I've been able to play for a long time. So most of the time, 
I mean, it's fun playing an optimized character, power character, right? It's fun being, being able to succeed at what you do. But typically, I'm more of a beer and pretzels kind of guy. And my, my default, well, that's not true. I'm not my default. I think my favorite genre would be like campy pulp or, you know, just kind of a, a little bit silly where you're joking around the table. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to play that way. And I've played in serious games too, but yeah, I want to be able to joke and laugh with the other, with the other players. And if, if the characters get into it a little bit, that's okay too. But I, I like characters to be competent. I, I, I don't know. It's fun to fail all the time. Although failures can be fun. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Jason. I, I would, I like, I think competent is a good way to say it, right? I like to play a character that can do stuff. I don't necessarily like to play superhero characters, at least, at least not for long periods of time. Maybe for a one-shot, it can be fun, but it's not my kind of character that I like to play. Mostly because when I think of characters like that, I think of them having lots of abilities that are written down and high scores. And to me, the ultimate game of D&D or any kind of role-playing game is one where I barely roll the dice at all. In my mind, if you are being clever as a player, at least it means DM the way I run it, there will be no dice to be rolled, which means that players who can come up with really good ideas then just succeed. So whether the character sheet says that they're amazing or not, I don't believe in that whole, well, my character sheet says I have a seven intelligence, so I can't solve this riddle. I believe in player skill. So, yeah, I, you know, yes, I like a character to be able to do stuff, but I don't necessarily um, care if they're super powered personally. Um, but competent is a good way to put it. You want a character that can succeed, right? You don't want to Every time you try to pick a lock, you fail. That would just be silly and kind of a pain in the butt. So I agree with you there. I think that um, there is this like, um, I don't know, when I first started like looking at a lot of what would be considered, I guess, OSR, although I hate to put titles on things, <laughs> as we talked about, um, games where it was like, yeah, you're just a, a piece of crap coming out of the mud and you're going to die all the time and lose. That's not my thing. You know, I want to be able to, to succeed. I want it to be a challenge and I want players to have to think about things and I want to think about things as a player. And I want to be able to do cool things. And what I found is that games that are too in-depth with uh, skill systems and stuff, at least for my taste, uh, feel restrictive. Because I like to look at my character sheet and see nothing on there and then look at the GM and say, this is what I want to do. And let them tell me it, how it can work or not work or whatever. I much prefer that than them going, oh, well, you know, you don't have the, you know, lockpicking skill or you don't have the you know, computer skill or you don't have the whatever skill, right? I, I want to know that, like, I can try anything because I think that um, that makes for a much more fun game. Uh, the one exception to that I would say would be modern games. I get that in modern games, you're going to want to have some kind of uh, balance because, right, you can't, everybody can't hack a computer, right? Everybody can't rebuild a, a circuit board. Everybody can't, you know, drive a, you know, call it drive yeah i think drive, drive like a diesel a, a truck you know or a ship <laughs> you know or fly a helicopter right but i think if you're looking at like lower tech like a medieval type situation anybody can try to climb a rope or to, you know, to to sneak past guards or you know lift something up or you know the stuff that you'd encounter in more of like a, a fantasy type game so anyways that's just how i look at it but uh yeah i think i've seen glog before they had a really cool uh list of i think they were curses or something that i used once in the game i do like my curses I look forward to your unboxing video, um, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you should do it on the video, right? But if not, then 
if you do on the podcast, I look forward to the unboxing podcast and look forward to talking again soon. Take care. Aha, the big unboxing will have to wait, I think, but I do have a small unboxing that I can do right now before I get to some more calls. Okay, we've got a couple of packages that came in today. Let's see, this first one is from Better World Books. So I'm guessing it's a book. Let's see, it's kind of like a, it's the shape of a book, and it's got kind of that uh, plastic that kind of seals around it, like, a, like they used to make those food preservers. I don't know if you guys remember that. Is that one of those Ron Popeil? Oh, right. This is... <laughs> is that the... Um, the Norman Rockwell Museum for the exhibit on fantasy art and uh, to basically to look at the uh, original art from the cover of the Holmes Basic book. And I saw this piece of art that was for a book called Excalibur. And it's basically the story of, I guess, a King Arthur story, but it takes place in the American South. So I thought that could be interesting. So, yeah. Um, at least that's what the little blurb said. So it was like $4 on eight books, including shipping. So I decided to get it. Uh, what's funny is the fantasy art part with the sword and the landscape um, was what we saw. But then the book itself has this like modern people like kind of drawn on the front making, you know, uh, it almost looks like a little kind of almost looks like a romance novel. I guess Excalibur could be considered a romance. All right, we got another box here. I'm not sure if this is RPG related or not. Crown Studios. It's kind of a large box. It's probably like almost two feet by about a little over a foot. And then it's only, it's only about maybe, well, only about two inches deep. So this could be any number of things. May or may not be RPG related. It's basically just got like a whole bunch of different swipes of tape across it and they're all going in different directions it's like a puzzle box here one of them must be still be stuck because i can't open it there we go i'm just using a, a razor here trying not to cut my hand off aha oh 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 wow all right that's all right inside is uh, basically like brown paper packaging. And, uh, wow, alright. Yeah, this is, make sure there's nothing here. <laughs> That's a lot of packaging, considering what's in here is not really that big. It is Corridor Magazine. This was a Kickstarter I did. It's basically, oh, beautiful art on the front. It's kind of like a, a, a town, it looks like, with some people walking through it. Uh, there's a dog that's tied to a post. You got some, uh, some electrical wires and stuff, so it's fairly modern, but it looks like it's kind of beat up and almost fantastical. And it's there's like a tunnel that has a shape of a uh, kind of a, a mutated face, and you're kind of walking into the mouth. That's on the front and the back cover in two different colors. Oh, the back is more like a sketch of it, I guess. And then this is okay. This looks like comics. I think this is a mixture of. Um, it's basically stories. Um, but I believe it's a mixture of just, you know, some the stuff that's just writing and other stuff that is, includes some art. So this should be really interesting. The Eye Within by Ray Fox. This is a comic style. Now we've got this one here. The art in here is really pretty cool. The Gaze of the Abyss. Uh, yes. So this is like fantasy related, but it's not, uh, 
not necessarily gaming related. It's more just uh, stories to my understanding. So anyways, it looks beautiful and I look forward to reading it and uh, perhaps I'll talk about it once I read through it. It doesn't look too big. It's probably like a dozen stories in there or so. So there you go. That was a successful uh, haul for today. Okay, it looks like we've got a package here. A little unboxing action. It is white. It's, uh, ooh, we're going to call this about maybe 9 inches by about 10-ish inches. A little, little bigger, a little smaller, I should say, than a, than a sheet of paper. But it's about an inch thick. It's kind of a heavy-duty white box. Uh, and I can see that it is from a Throwy Games, which tells me that this is from a Kickstarter that I did recently. So I've got my trusty knife here. I'm going to pop this thing open. All right, my Opinel. Okay, so I'm just going to slice this open. It just has a couple places here where I just tape it. I want to cut into it just in case. I never can tell. Okay, oh, wrapped in bubble wrap. That's good. So Jason will be happy about that. No peanuts. Ooh, okay, this is pretty nice. I think it's, hmm. It looks like it's slightly, like it's not quite a zine size. It's a little bigger than that. It's taller than that. I'm going to say it's probably 6 by 9. It's plastic. But the cover is, uh, it's color, but it's mostly kind of blue and yellowish and black, of course. There's a, looks like an elf, uh, kind of coming up. It looks like they're being lifted by their hood by some kind of an ogre or giant that has a mace. So yeah, they're in trouble. Um, this is the collection of... Oh, hold on. This is a wraparound cover? It is a wraparound cover, guys. Oh, wow. Okay. So running to the rescue, hopefully, of the of the, uh, the trapped adventurer is a fighter with a huge two-handed sword and what looks like is probably uh, could be a cleric or magic user. They're running with a lit-up kind of wand or staff. So, you know, oh, okay, nice. There's a bookmark inside. There's a bookmark. There's a, yep, it's a bookmarker. Uh, back to basics. So this is the combined issues one through ten. This is a series of zines that uh, they put out a while back. Uh, as far as the actual zines go, I collected the first, I think, three of them, and then I kind of lost uh, track of them, so I didn't get the rest. But this is the combined version of all of them. Each one com uh, uh, contains... A few different things like issue one is there's a letter. Uh, let's see, the product spotlight. They interview some people. There's some stuff about mythology, some magic stuff. There's a little bit of a dungeon crawl, and uh, there's also a cartoon. And the cartoon is done by. Let's see, I believe there's a cartoon in most, if not all, of these. It's an ongoing story. Um, by uh, the Crimson. Oh no, hold on. Following the Adventures of Blood. It doesn't say the name of the artist. It's that same artist that, that, that did, did that cartoon book a while back. Boy, I'm okay, comic. Travis Hansen. So if you've seen some of that stuff, they, they have a great little uh, comic strip that they were doing for a while with the adventuring all about D&D. So at least the first few issues, anyways, have a cartoon by Travis um, in them. Oh, this has some stuff uh, about Dolmenwood. So it looks like there's a whole bunch of different uh, things in here. Like they'll go over uh, with spells. Basically, it's all stuff for BX. So it's back to basics, as it would be. Now, my understanding is that 
This collected the first 10 issues, and then there's going to be an issue 11 coming out, and that's going to be kickstarted at some point. So this is basically a compilation. I'm just looking to see if the last issue also has a cartoon, because I see them in most of them. Yep, looks like it does. So yeah, you've got a bunch of cartoons, you've got some adventures, you've got some interviews, you've got some magic items and stuff like that, all for your BX game. So it's really well done, it looks like it. it. looks like it's really well printed, nice and clean on white paper. Uh, but it is really just a reprint. So if you already have the other ones, I mean, you'd only really get it if you were, um, I guess, in need of, if you were missing some of them or if you just wanted to be a collector, I suppose. But uh, if you don't have any of it, or if you don't have all of them, you just have some or none, then this is probably worth getting. So back to basics. I'm sure it'll become available for sale at some point. I got it on Kickstarter. Uh, so it's called Back to Basics. Basic, not basics. And the and the, the basic is B-A-S-I-X. And it's issues 1 through 10 combined. Hey, Daniel, it's Joe. One, thanks for listening to the show. That's awesome, man. Two, I'm doing that thing that you like to do in honor of you where you call into a show before you listen to the entire episode. So, yeah, just to clear it up. When I say that power gaming is the right way to play, I'm just being facetious. I don't really mean it. I'm just joshing around. But what I am talking about is a real-life adventure living in a real-life fantasy world full of magic and monsters, monsters that guard abundant life-changing treasure if those adventurers found an old ancient secret technique a dirty trick that let them kill every monster they came up against that's what everyone in the world would be doing (laughs) that technique would be solid gold uh yeah man that's what i mean when i talk about verisimilitude people would no one would make it harder on themselves that's that's what i'm trying to say anyway man great stuff i'm gonna get back to listening Oh, yeah, absolutely, Joe. And thanks for calling in. Uh, I think that <laughs> it, it comes down to the fiction, right? The, and we both keep saying the fiction, but it's the fiction that you like, right? Some people like the fiction where uh, there is, in fact, that, right? There's gods of gold and tons of adventurers and that kind of stuff. And other people like the fiction where nobody really wants to adventure and, and any smart person would never do it. And people are forced to adventure. And somewhere in the middle is probably where most people play. <laughs> but yeah, I do agree. Uh, you know, of course, people are going to want to be the best they can be, but I don't know that you always get to be the best. I mean, think about any team, right? You're never going to have a team that has absolutely the best uh, players, at least not in the beginning, until your team proves they can win. So maybe not everybody on the team is the best at what they do. And, uh, you know, that's also real, right? So who knows? Real, Real fiction, right? Real dragons. Yo, Joe again, talking about the fiction. Um... Yeah, so your example of Luke Skywalker, I would say that Luke Skywalker is absolutely an optimized character. He's an optimized first-level character. And, yeah, with character optimization, it doesn't mean you start off as being the best. It means you start off as being the best that you can be at first level, and then you grow. And I think you'll see that in a lot of the fiction. Like I talk about in my episode, like... uh, Bilbo and Frodo and Sam, all those guys, super optimized, low level, but totally optimized. Yeah, man. That's all I'm saying. See, I think that we disagree here on this part, but then that'll just be the way it is, right? Sometimes you can't (laughs) agree on something. 
I think that if you look at the, if you think of the first movie, right, A New Hope, where he's got the lightsaber, he can't block any of the the lasers that are shooting at him. He's terrible with the lightsaber. He has no lightsaber skill. He's not proficient in it at all. He has something inside him. Maybe he has good stats, right? So that would be the optimizing. But he doesn't have all the feats that give him, that give him the, the the Jedi abilities, right? He has to learn those as he goes. And I think that's that kind of build up from zero to hero that of course you can, maybe he's, he is very uh, aware. I don't know what, what skills the Jedi has, right? Or maybe he's very dexterous or whatever, but he's, he's not great with all the weapons. He doesn't know a lot. He's very naive. And because of that, it's like, cause think about it. If you, if you're playing a game, okay, so let's just think about it. And again, I don't play Pathfinder, so maybe it's different, but if you're going to play, let's say fifth edition, and you say, well, you know, Luke is really smart because he's he's optimized, right? We made him smart because intelligence is the stat for a Jedi because they use their mind, I guess, right? But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that if you were to say, well, if the character of Luke was like, well, uh, you know, how do I get to this thing or how many planets are here or whatever, the DM would be like, well, make a lore check. That's an intelligence check, right? So it's kind of like he's not really, which is actually one thing that I think works really well in fifth edition and I'm assuming Pathfinder as well, is that you can, you can and do raise your ability scores as you, as you go up. So that way you kind of balance that out. I think that my major dislike for systems like fifth edition is that um, they use the ability scores for too much. And then what that creates is these characters that have to have high ability scores in order to be as optimized as they should be without having the high ability scores should be in my mind a fighter in advanced Dungeons and dragons is a better at fighting than a peasant no matter if they have a high strength or not they're just better at it because they're fighters right it just that just works out that way and i think that's more the style of game that i like the style of fiction that i like it just comes down to that and also i called in about your bilbo and frodo i like i said i don't i don't agree maybe frodo but i don't think bilbo had high stats at all i think he was just very lucky and if you think about the things he did he almost always either had help from Gandalf, was incredibly lucky, or had magical items that helped him. He was smart. I'll give him. I'll give you that. He was. A, he was a clever guy. But uh, I. I think that's why maybe Dungeon Call Classics does the halfling's luck. I think they're basing that on the fact that, yeah, Bilbo wasn't strong or dexterous or anything. He was just lucky. So, anyways, yeah, Joe, thanks for calling. And I think. Uh, I think we kind of agree, but don't agree. <laughs> I think it's just different styles of play, different things that we like. One area where we're in 100% agreement, Daniel, is our mutual disdain for people who steal the spotlight from the rest of the table during a game. I do not like that at all. I've witnessed it both from a game master side and a player side, and yeah, it, it, ugh, it irks me. I play a lot of Pathfinder, so that's where I've run into it the most. And one thing I've noticed is that if I get a look at their character, if there's a player and he's stealing all the thunder and they're one-shotting all the monsters, you know, if I then ask them about their build or manage to get a look at their sheet, most of the time I'll find that it's not a loophole that they're using. It's that they're either breaking the rules like completely or not following all of the rules and it's like come on if you're gonna power game at least do it right know the rules man uh anyway peace out i hear you it's like the people where you're like hold on that spell does that and they just read like two lines from the spell but they don't read the rest of it <laughs> yeah man whoosh, that just bothers me to no end but uh it, you know this has been an awesome conversation i'm, I'm glad that you, you started this uh, back and forth it's really fun 
uh, to kind of uh, hash this out and, and just talk about different things. In the end, it's all fun, right? We're all, we're all having fun with like different stuff. Sometimes it's it's great to play a character that's that's a superhero. Sometimes it's one great to play someone in the middle. Sometimes it's fun to play one that's not. And I think that uh, all styles are good. And uh, yeah, rock on, man. Thanks. Yo, Daniel, you know me so well. I absolutely think it's silly that a thief with a three dexterity has the same chance of picking somebody's pocket as a thief with a 15 or 16 dexterity in BX. Yeah, that's silly, but that's not what we're talking about here. So my problem with the term talking past each other is that it implies that one or both parties don't understand what the other one is saying. And in this case, uh, Jason and I both, I think, understand each other. You know, I'm not saying that the stats are worth the same from addition to addition. No, I'm saying that it is possible to play a character in these modern games with suboptimal stats. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying you can. That's a statement of fact. You can even be helpful. You can, like I said, use the aid another action. And the low stats in modern games does not affect role play. It affects dice rolls. Peace out. Right, for sure. Um... Yeah, because there's no uh, doctors that weren't the head of their class. There's nobody in any field that wasn't the best. Come on now. Most people that do certain jobs are not the best at it. They just do it. So you do it and you learn and you get skillful at it. You could be great at uh, doing a very specific task without being just overall good at, you know, with your hands or whatever. But whatever. I mean, forgetting about realism, what I meant by the talking past was is that you were both making great points just about two different things because... I believe, which Jason also seems to believe, again, no one put words in his mouth, that we'll call it TSR style or old school D&D or whatever you want to call it, is a completely different game in a sense than the new games. In the new games, even the role play, if you want to call the role play just the talking, does require stats, whereas in the older games it doesn't. So it still matters. And yes, you could play a crappy character, but I think what Jason's saying, again, not putting words in his mouth, is that you could play a crappy stat character in an older game and it won't affect you at all. Whether or not you like that, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> you know, it comes down to, to what style you like. But in any case, um, I'll let Jason speak for himself and stop trying to, uh, to put words in people's mouths. Thanks for calling in, though, Joe. Hey, Daniel, it's Rob from Down in a Heap. I haven't been podcasting for a couple weeks and or even listening to any podcasts Um but last night I listened to some of yours, been catching up here this morning. Interesting topic that you've got going on here. I talked about it on my podcast, this kind of stuff, in a, a ride-along ramble kind of thing. I think it was back in February. But, uh, yeah, I, it's it's something like you, I don't really have an issue with what you know 5e is going towards. I don't have an issue with people optimizing, really. But I do think the game is changing. It's the archetype structure in the game that was really emphasized in the early editions seems to be kind of being whittled away at. And when I say it's changing, I don't think there's anything inherently good or bad about that. It's just changing. Uh, The... uh, the species choices don't matter so much anymore, and uh, nor do the class choices matter as much, and things are kind of front-loaded more than they used to be as far as the player character 
capabilities. Um, I always used to think of the level limits and the class restrictions, you know, to each of the species and the, you know, the specific attribute adjustments as things that made the species different and interesting. I didn't see it as, like, um, limitations or anything. It was more just like, this were setting implications and what made things separate. So to me, when you have these specific class abilities and class limitations and these specific uh, abilities and drawbacks for each of the species, it creates a specific setting and a specific mindset and set of archetypes within the game structure that to me I think is interesting and when when you start bleeding things over into one another whether it's uh, fighters being able to move silently or pick locks and thieves being able to cast spells and um, there not being any kind of like specific dwarves have a high constitution and a low charisma kind of thing um everything starts seeming a little bit more samey and especially when the species structure you start getting the phenomena i think more where it's like everyone's just a human with pointy ears or a beard but just my two cents yeah you make some really good points there uh you know and uh i try to be open to whatever style people play you know i'm trying you know whatever i think it's all fun right but I think you're absolutely right. You 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 start to lose something when everything becomes the same. It's one of the reasons why I actually like games like D and D versus, let's say, a skill-based system, is because I like the idea that there are archetypes. I like that that kind of classification, and I like that being a paladin, let's say, is a very specifically human thing, and it's a very specifically religious thing. It's a very specifically good thing, and it's not just like oh, anybody can be a paladin. Um, at least that's the standard, right? I mean, just like uh, it's been talked about many times with Rule Zero, you could ask your DM to make a half-orc paladin, you know, with some kind of background. And then that makes that character kind of special and unique. But when you just drop all those barriers uh, right away where anybody can be anything, which is great in life, but in fantasy where you want to really set up archetypes, it does make it more difficult. I mean, I wonder if there are new archetypes that have replaced the old ones, maybe in the more modern fantasy. I don't really keep up with it. I mean, I guess the Witcher had like uh, witches or <laughs> witches, right? Because the Witcher, the Witchers had had like a bard, um, and uh, he was, I guess, he was like a fighter. He didn't cast any magic. Uh, I don't know much about it. Somebody knows more about the Witcher will can probably tell me what he is. But uh, yeah, I think that um, maybe there's new archetypes. And maybe that's what people are searching. Well, maybe people are searching for the new archetypes, and, and that's what they're doing. But I do agree that you end up with this idea that you're just playing. Everybody's kind of the same. They're just a a, a sheet full of stats. And you can you can like in the search for everybody trying to be unique, they've created a situation where nobody's unique because it's kind of like they, if everything's wild and crazy, nothing is. And I think that's what you get, right? Everybody's got this. Uh, this character that in theory is unique, you know, oh, half cat, half dog, you know, acrobat, bard, magician, you know, monk. Uh, but when you look at the character sheets and the way all the numbers work out, they, they're still balanced and the same as everybody else. So then you get these people that are like searching for the loopholes to make their character a little more powerful. 
I don't know. It's just a different game, I guess. And, and I think that's why I'm happy that I kind of settled back into some of these more older style games. You know, we had lots and lots of fun playing when we were kids, and I have lots and lots of fun playing now. And, uh, yeah, as much as I would sit down to play a game or two of Fifth Edition again if somebody invited me, or Pathfinder, or any of these games, I don't see myself ever really embracing those as my main game ever again. I think that my tastes have gone simpler and with the kind of more traditional archetypes. Because I think that actually opens up the world to a lot more, the fantasy world to a lot more, when you put limitations when you just say fighter, like, what do you imagine? We all imagine something different. But if I say ranger, I think you've got a much more specific picture in your head. And to me, that's not necessarily good. I like the idea that when I said fighter, somebody thought of a knight in shining armor. Somebody thought of a, a guerrilla warrior. Somebody thought of an archer. Somebody thought of a leather clad, uh, you know, a rogue hiding in the shadows with a knife. You know, there's so many different ways you could be a fighter. But there's only, you know, one or two ways that you could be a ranger, right, or a, a paladin. So I think the simpler core archetypes actually give you more room for your imagination to grow. So that, that's where I tend to lean, uh, personally. But, you know, and then it's fun to make up your own stuff. <laughs> so strip it down and build it back up the way we like it, right? So, yeah, thanks for calling. All right, there we go. Um, thanks to everyone who called in. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes like what it, what it is, like as I continue through my journey here back into the world of RPGs, you know, what is the perfect game for me? Is there one perfect game? You know, what's the desert Island game? Is it something that I want to be able to build characters very precisely? Is it very loose and open? Uh, you know, is it a huge rule book? Is it one that you can write on a napkin? I mean, who knows? What do you guys like? What do you think is the is the ultimate. Do you want that crunch? Do you want to be able to build? Do you want crunch? Uh, I should say, do you want to be able to have a crunchy system for building characters where this, it takes you 45 minutes to an hour to build a good character? Or would you prefer a simple character build but maybe more crunch in the mechanics? Or no crunch at all? Maybe Captain Crunch? Maybe Crunch Berries? Maybe, yeah, Crunch Berries? Uh, I don't know the rest of the Captain Crunches. Unfortunately, um, as I said on the uh, Down in a Heap episode about cereal, uh, we didn't eat many of the sugary cereals, so I will leave you with uh, a bowl of Wheaties, and uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs>